Hello and welcome to the 361 Podcast Season 9, Episode 1. My name is Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Ray from the All About Sites. And I'm Ewan from Mobile Industry Review. This week we're looking forward to 2015, thinking about the trends and the products that might come our way. We'll be looking at the Apple Watch and talking about the Fire Phone. Also going to be covering Google Glass and Samsung. Back, chaps. Hello. Yes. Hello. Do you, do you feel older? I do, I do actually. Yeah. Christmas. Christmas took an undue toll. I think probably it was a busy one for us. Um, Blanford. I had a lovely Christmas. Thank you, Ian. Excellent. Yeah. Ray, likewise. Ray Blanford doesn't look any older. No, that he has that kind of Cliff Richard boyish thing around him. So, somewhere there's a Nokia handset in an attic, aging as, <laughs> as Rafe Blanford gets younger and younger. Yeah. So. Yeah. He's got his special bag. What is that, Rafe? But you'll, you'll find out in episode three. All right. Oh, wow. Okay, so Rafe Bradford has brought props for this audio-only podcast. Wow, that's right. Okay, how about yourself, Mr. McLeod? Yeah, very good. Uh, should we do a bit of news? Go on, news so. Is, uh, so I've um, finished with Nationwide. Thank you, Nationwide. I was working there, and I've now finished. Was it, was, you say you finished. It sounds like a breakup. You know, it's not you, but me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's I, um, I've finished no, my it, commitment. It definitely, it definitely was you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it was a contract. So. Uh, thank you. I can't announce where I am at the moment. Uh, the, the new you're, sat ne- you're sat next to me. Right, yes, yes, but there you are. My, my, my next opportunity. Right, okay. Yeah. Rafe Blanford, have you managed to maintain continuous employment in the few weeks we've been away? Yes, I have. But uh, I can say that I've been to CES, and that was terribly exciting. Oh, but what did you do in Vegas? I know, hang on, I'm going to start the, the season nine CES klaxon already. If you start telling me about internet fridges, we are going to fall out. Well, I was going to tell you about an internet washing machine, which was, in <laughs> fact, just one really? washing machine stacked on top of another washing machine. But they did have something really, really great. That was um, a selfie hairbrush. So just what you want. You can comb your hair and then take a picture of yourself with your hairbrush. Excellent. Okay. Uh, but one really cool thing was actually a fire alarm upgrade. Yeah. Take a 9-volt battery and it's a Wi-Fi battery. I've seen this, yeah. And it will turn any fire alarm, in effect, into one of those Nest alarms or smart yeah, alarms. Yeah, that's, really, that's smart. Really yeah. clever way of doing it because people don't want to replace all their bits on the ceiling and everything else are doing it this way right. you, really shouldn't, use a smart home. you really shouldn't put your bits on the ceiling anyway that's going to be uncomfortable <laughs> can we just start can you, but what happened in Vegas though? did you do anything exciting beyond walking the show floor uh, I did get a pedicure that was very nice really yes show us come on let's have a look what colour no I just had the nails trimmed oh, the fine, okay. oh you didn't actually get after, the, okay. after being 13 miles on the show floor oh very impressive according to my Fitbit where did you stay uh, in the Mandalay Bay is that any good uh, I didn't really notice, to be honest. I'm just thinking of having a whip round for the poor person who had to touch your feet after 13 miles. Did you have the thing with the fishies? No, I didn't. Okay. All right, look, we need to talk about toys, and I also want to talk about the app pitch, uh, sorry, the uh, episode pitches, because uh, listeners, we have, uh, we've been doing uh, a, a kind of a, a round-robin episode pitch session uh, whereby each of us has to pitch what the kind of subjects we'll be talking about this season, and we are going to exclusively reveal the ones that have failed uh, the ones that didn't make it. Should we do that now? Go on then. So, what, okay, right. so, so what was your one? That my you... one was, uh, now, by the way, listeners, I am relying on you, please, here, because if you can make enough noise, I reckon we might actually get this one in at the end of uh, the, the, the season. This season. Since you and I won't, say, won't accept no to any of these pitches. Well, I think they're really good. So the top of my list was Rafe Blanford does Tinder. Mm. <laughs> no. I wonder why that didn't make it. No, no, wait a minute. I think there's a genuine reason here, right? Blanford, I think, you know, my wife, every time I, I, I come out and do some recording the, the episode, she says, oh, how's Rafe? 
Michelle, that's how you are as well. Um, Thanks. Right. Give, give them my best. <laughs> yeah. Um, but how's Rafe and, you know, what's going on? Because she wants to know if you have, um, have a partner. Yeah, you know, uh, is Rafe, Rafe got a girlfriend? Because you know, uh, Blanford is working very hard at the moment. Married to the job. I, right, thought, exactly. I thought a caveat from family was bad enough. Now I'm getting it from you well, as, I, well, but, as so, well. And well, I think you'll get it from the audience as well. I reckon we should you should do Tinder in front of us because I, I want to see it because ha- I've got the app but I haven't had the, the um, I was going to say B-A-L-L-S you like to say that? Yeah. I haven't had the balls Yeah. or, or the confidence or yeah. whatever to actually you log into Tinder yet. But you, you were telling me before we started recording yeah. though that Tinder uses I, I, I've never used Tinder either although I don't know what it is but you used to have to use your Facebook profile Yeah it was kind of horrifying <laughs> <I was> just, <laughs> it, does say, it does say this will not publish anything without you oh, well, but, I was just thinking if it's searching Rafe's social graph it's just <laughs> going to be like the Countess of Wessex no <laughs> some visits yes <laughs> Bob the Butler but yes. I, I, listen, I, it's, it's, it's how everyone's doing at Blanford I think it's the way ahead I reckon it could be not a full episode but a good five minute section okay well that one mm. that one went in the bin so oh, okay, well, that was yeah. my top one I think that was where we revealed that there is veto power when it comes to uh, episode selection. I'm relying on the reader. That's for listeners. But Come on. I, I was very disappointed that my selection of um, uh, 361 goes to the countryside and does some camping or some other oh, countryside I just, I activities. Any, I don't have any patience for that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, as long as there's a hotel nearby. Yeah. The, the, only countryside, the only countryside accessory that Ewan McLeod has ever owned for his iPhone is a Range Rover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's scarily true Listen, to the if, truth. But if there was something about, you know, four by four, you know, off-roading or something, I, I, yeah. I, I was more, more like. interested in sort of discovering what it's actually like to survive on battery power for 48 hours and what it's like to only have 2G signal and all that kind of thing, yeah. just like which I think are important questions. Just like, just like being at home for you, isn't it? Well, yes, really. Yeah. Oh, well, my, my, my brief pitch didn't really get started because we started to discuss would we try and buy O2 before uh, Lee Cushing did for Hutchison mm. One Power. But <sighs> sadly, Rafe Blanford left £10 billion in his other trousers. So uh, we scuppered that one early on. All right. Okay, really quickly, Ewan, I know you wanted to talk about uh, some Kickstarter stuff before you know, we get into today's I episode. Have, I have been buying quite a lot or funding quite a lot on Kickstarter. I did Xano. Become Xano, that's the autonomous swarming drone. That looks quite exciting. No, okay. No, no we, we can talk about more of these more in future episodes. Yeah, because so yeah. they'll arrive soon. I think. Well, in a couple of months. I did craft work. <laughs> you think they're going to arrive? You? You've not done Kickstarter. No, before, I have done. You? I think I'm, I've got a high degree of confidence here. Craft work is a highly innovative, innovative portable power plant, um, and that's like a, a small little battery thing that you, you carry around. But all you do is charge it up with a three second shovel a little bit of uh, lighter gas in it and it will power your iPhone through yeah. um, 11 no way, times. There's no way that can go wrong in any way or no, shape it's, or it's, form. No, it's FDA, uh, no, no, FAA approved. Okay. Right, that's good. And then Amp Strip. Oh, that was on Indiegogo, yeah. that one. And that's a comfortable 24-7 heart rate wearable. It's actually a stick. Well, you've got the little the wearable and then um, it comes with some stickers. You just stick it on your skin and it uh, monitors your heart rate. and, and signs. tells you if you're dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, you it, are not dead. It, this is it's just really quite exciting. In, so, in danger of setting off uh, Ben's clack, and actually those kind of stick-on wearables was actually definitely a theme at CES. And there was Aria that does a whole medical-grade sensors that you wear for a week, mm. collect a whole lot of data. There was a Blue Track, which is a temperature tracking thing that you put on for 24 hours for children. There was a, another one called Adam, which was basically predicting asthma attacks. It's got a microphone, a couple smart. of other sensors. Yeah. And it's interesting, all the pitch was around actually making it more comfortable to where you forget about it and because you've already got something on your wrist. And actually, I think it's a, an interesting point. Mm. Um, slightly horrifying, the disposable nature of all of these things because yeah. it's generally 24 hours or a week that you stick it on for. 
uh, I asked about recycling and they said, oh, no, no, we don't have to worry about them. We're targeting it at Americans. And I said, what about Europe? He said, oh, that's all right. We'll send all the uh, secondhand American ones to Europe. Oh, fair enough. Okay, look, we should move on because yes. this week's show is all about what we're looking forward to in 2015. Yes. Well, all the, what we're looking forward to in the remaining bit of 2015. Um and, well, it's a show of many parts, but, and I'm quite excited about this, we're going to start off talking about the Apple Watch. Yes. That's right, going to okay. be the big news. Rafe Blanford is doing his big Yori phase. Come on, Rafe Blanford. Can we just us. do a quick uh, round the, the, the team here? Who's buying one? Are you buying one? I think I'll buy one, but I accept that it's going to be more an experiment than it is a polished product. Blanford? You're going to have to buy one, right? I'll, pr- I'll probably buy one just to see what it's like. Probably. Or ha- Rafe Blanford will have someone buy, him, buy one yeah. for him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely buying one. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what they've done with it. I don't have actually very high expectations, though. I, I will say I'm not desperate to get it on day one. I might see what the initial reaction is. You know, yeah. I, I, it's not one of those must-have-it-straight-away products. Well, let's rattle through some details then, because Roland, Roland yeah. researcher yeah. Hello Roland has been on, Roland. on the internets and uh, cracked up some uh, amazing, uh, amazing research. So um, expected to launch mid-March in uh, the US, probably later in Europe. There's some uh, commentaries by Apple execs talking around um, uh, launching around sort of Chinese New Year kind of time. Um, uh, with it, with it, that's coming soon, and that was a that was a retail um, uh, exec talking about that. Mm. We we did talk uh, before the recording about whether it would be announced during MWC this year. But I think we came to the conclusion it probably wouldn't be because that's not Apple's scene. They don't really care about price MWC, wise. You care about this one? There's going to be three models. We talked yeah. about this. Uh, three hundred forty nine dollars uh, in the US for the yeah. watch sport, which is going to be is that the base one? Yeah, that's the basic one. That's probably going to be about three hundred pounds sterling. In the UK, it's quite that. quite expensive, that isn't it? It's is quite expensive. So the the next one up, the just the Apple Watch on its own, yeah. it, that's the stainless steel one. That's going to be five hundred bucks. This so is all speculation. Four, by four, way, four nine or something. Guaranteed. Like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes, I mean this is speculation, but this is the best. It's of, managed speculation. This is the best of the uh, analysis that's out there at the moment. And then the uh, the watch edition, which is a bit old. That's the gold one. Yeah, and that's caused a lot of speculation. We we reckon, or rather the, the sources that we we're relying on, reckon that's going to be about five thousand dollars. Which is a lot, a lot for a piece of technology. Will you actually walk into the Apple store and buy that? I mean, I presume so. I mean, you can. You they can, haven't got anything worth five thousand oh, dollars in an Mac, Apple store. Mac Pro. You no, you come could, on. Well, yeah, fully configured, fully laden. But you know, the standard prices start at what two thousand. I think I think you could easily walk out of a Mac, out of an Apple store with five thousand quid's worth of kit because that's the only thing, though. I mean, it's, well, is a sing, as a, maybe as a single unit item, particularly you know that that might be difficult. But I think that you know people go in there and make tens of thousands of pounds of transactions if they're mm. buying stuff from office or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, um, well, the interesting thing is that what does that do to um, mobile phone shops who are based on commission if they can sell a five thousand pound Apple Watch? That's going to be uh, pretty nice for their bottom line. Well, I think I think actually as well, it could be quite interesting that people will stop shopping in. Well, if you if you want to buy an Apple device anyway, you won't go to your operator for it because you might actually want to go and check out all the the, all the, the straps and the, the accessories and the straps and everything, and you'll uh, just go and get it there in the in the Apple store. I, I think you will, but bear in mind, although there's a lot of Apple stores around now, they're still not universally spread, and so a lot of people have to travel significant distances to get to them. So, uh, Rafe Blanford, uh, we need to talk about expectations, don't we? Really, yeah, what do people? What should people expect in terms of what this will do to the market? Well, I think this is the interesting question more than price and availability. It's not like it's the first smartwatch by any means. And although they are increasing in terms of sales numbers, none of them have done spectacular numbers. And so really it's the question, you know, is this going to be another iPhone or iPad product in in defining a segment or, you know, really breaking new ground and Mm. selling in massive numbers? 
I honestly have to say, I think that's doubtful. I mean, particularly because this is a companion product. You are going to have to have an iPhone, really, uh, to have it make sense. So that immediately limits the market size. And I think cost is a factor. We've, you know, starting from £300, that's you know, not everyone is going to be able to mm-hmm. you know, take that into account. And then also not everyone will actually want one because I don't think it's essential and I don't think it's product-defining in the same way that the iPad is. And so I think the problem Apple will face is people will talk about it being a failure if it doesn't sell enough or doesn't sort of really break new ground, make loads of money for them. And I think that might not be very fair because I think they can have success without sort of it being a smash hit like, say, the iPad was. There's a bunch of analysis out there. Um, we, we, we've pulled together some analysis. I say we, I mean, rather researcher, of course, um, and uh, he's, he's, he's looked at all the numbers. He reckons between about 10 and 20 million sales in the first year. That's, but, the, but some of the, uh, some of the numbers vary hugely. Uh, UBS said 24 million. Um, Bank of Montreal said 12 million. Credit Suisse said 35 million. So, I mean, these numbers are swinging around, you know, all in the kind of tens of millions, but nevertheless pretty broad. But that's some scary numbers, though. Two, 24 million would be around a profit of 3.4 billion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is enormous, isn't it? Honestly, I think some of those numbers feel a little bit on the optimistic side to me because uh, if you look at what's happened with uh, Google Wear, and, and I don't think there's a big extra thing that you get from the Apple Watch that you're not getting from some of the existing watches. It, it is about the brand and about the quality of the design, which is important, I grant you. But I just wonder when we're talking about the current smartwatches doing a couple of million units, that's a big ask to ask Apple to sort of make that market you know, 10 or even 15 times that size. So I just have a certain amount of scepticism around how big it will actually be. Well, Ewan, um, it's good. This, this whole accessory thing is going to be a bit of a problem for them, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, the, one of the major issues I'm seeing is when I'm chatting with colleagues um, in and around the, the industry is you, know, you have to remember that you, uh, Rafe made the point, you have to actually buy, well, you really need an iPhone to use the Apple Watch. You don't strictly need to have a, um, um, an iPhone, but you, it would be beneficial if you do um, because the, the app developers who, and you know, everyone who's anyone is currently working on an Apple Watch app at the moment. Um, you, you basically, the, the, the Apple Watch app is an extension of your existing app. So you, you'll kind of upgrade the existing app and you make it work for the, app, the Apple Watch. You don't create an app, on a standalone app for, uh, for the Apple Watch. And I think that's going to make it quite interesting to see um, how, how the market reacts. So all the, all, all, all the smartware kind of platforms have this kind of challenge, regardless of how, yeah. they, um, how they address the problem. They all have this issue of how do you get apps onto it and stand alone. And I suppose at least the benefit here is that you might encourage people to add Apple Watch features to their existing apps, and therefore you could do sort of incremental growth rather than needing to sort of start developing for a whole new ecosystem. Well, it's, it's this beautiful a- Apple thing, which is because they've announced a- um, the, the Apple Watch and... Um, They've announced the um, the dev kit for that, so all the developers have downloaded it naturally. It's a natural extension. Um, if you remember, everyone was educated. They made an iPhone app, and then the iPad came along, and all you had to do is just make make it a little bit bigger. It worked automatically, but you, if you made a proper, you know, a full size one for the iPad, that was great. And you could m- even make one for different screen sizes and so on. Um, you're all educated to do it. And I think what I'm seeing in the marketplace is so many people talking to me saying, "Oh, we're working on our." Our, our Apple Watch. Don't know when it's coming out, but we're working on the Apple Watch app as an assumption that you know it's going to be big. You're absolutely right to say that Apple are leveraging their kind of existing developer ecosystem, and that's actually the benefit of it being a, a companion 
um, device effectively. And you can do a certain amount of things on it, but it, it is worth stating it is very limited in some ways, the device, just like the first iPhone was. Um, and there is some demand out there for Apple Watch apps, but I think it's more around some quite specific use cases. Mm. So uh, banks are doing it because of Apple Pay and because of the idea of being able to glance and see your um, a transaction or your account balance or something like that. And there's certainly some interesting things around the whole wearables and the health and fitness space starting to use those sensors. But in terms of you know big apps and games and things like that, there will undoubtedly be some specialists working on it. And there's a couple of game developers I know who are working on Apple Watch apps. But it, it doesn't feel like it's the same level of activity as there was around the iPad, for example, okay. when it first came out. Okay, on to the next thing, because uh, we talked about the Apple Watch far too much. Um, Fire phone. Now, oh dear. The, this was a train wreck for Amazon in 2014. Um, and we saw it live. You know, it wasn't a, oh, let's wait and see. It was, we knew it was going to be a train wreck the minute they announced it. Yeah, it was launched in July in the US and uh, September in the UK. Um, oh here we go. Here's the quote. Uh, Senior Vice President of Devices, David Limp, good name, uh, said we didn't get the price right. So, oh dear. I mean, this is you have to wonder what did they not? I mean, what were they missing? Well, so we're supposed to be looking forward to forward to 2015, but yeah. let's just pause briefly and reflect on on what went wrong, and then we can say perhaps what we think is going to happen to the Fire Phone in uh, 2015. Well, this was basically what led to 174 million write down from Amazon, uh. and one of their biggest ever operating losses, 544 million in Q3 2014. There's been a lot of profiles out recently about it that essentially put the blame on Jeff Bezos for product managing this thing into the ground effectively. Mm. And sort of uh, when it comes down to it, I think you boil it down to the fact they didn't build it with the Amazon kind of culture in mind and not for their customer base. Yeah. And it was it was pretty easy to see coming, frankly. Yeah, I mean, this was a premium device in the US. It started at what is it's it? Ridiculous, uh, yeah. Well, it started at six forty nine. It's now down to four forty nine starting price, and that's with a contract in the UK. Uh, pay as you go price is probably more instructive. You know, started off at three ninety nine, now down to two nine, now down to two ninety nine, um, or free with certain contracts, but pretty yeah. high value ones. That's just amazingly expensive for an unproven ecosystem, relatively mediocre spec device. Uh, you know, uninspiring hardware, etc. Et I'm so disappointed, absolutely disappointed. They really could have nailed this. And I just keep coming back to that point that Rafe raised, which is I don't understand how this in any way represented that showed that they understood their customers. Because they built cracking Kindle devices, mm. uh, but they're really good at, sh at selling ebooks, which is what Amazon does. I mean, I'm amazed that the phone wasn't completely media centric, for example. Yes. Or uh, if they'd done a photography based phone, wasn't tied into some amazing Amazon cloud, um, you know, photo storage system yeah. or something like that. But the whole 3D interface just seemed like, you know, make a big long list of things that Apple, uh, sorry, Apple, make a long list of things that Amazon broadly don't have any interest in and, and, and focus on that. Gee, see, what I would like them to have done is a Motorola G. And okay. I think that's what we have to expect from them later in the year. Yeah, They're so going to have another crack at it, which I absolutely think properly, they will. Do it properly, make it for the prime customers, discount it heavily. And if we're looking ahead, that's what we can expect to see sometime in Generic the summer. Generic commodity phone services from them. Okay. That would be nice. So what, what will they do? Uh, a low price device, perhaps discounted for prime customers? A, qu a quality, but low low price. Motorola quality. Something like that. You know, like a, a good G, like 100 and something. Okay. And Rafe, how are they going to correct this not relevant to Amazon customers thing? What kind of services could they do that would really take advantage of Amazon's core skills? I, I think it's partly the way they talk about the phone when they market it, uh, but partly it's also what they've done with the Kindle Fire tablets quite successfully. 
make it very clear they are media-centric devices and play up the sort of the, the video and the TV playback elements, the ebook angle, which you just didn't feel like they did very successfully with the Fire Phone. I was always surprised how re- relatively low prominence the Fire Phone got on the Amazon website, certainly in the Co UK site. Mm. It was there, but it wasn't as prominent as the Kindle is. Sometimes the full page. It was on my takeover. front page. Every, I mean, it's been my front page for ages, by the way. You know, but, as a Prime customer. But yes, yeah, so it's on there, but it's not the full page takeover. It's the little bar. You know, no, no, but it, I, mean, I can't miss it though. I mean, I've been seeing it for ages. Mm. But but to me, it wasn't really about necessarily the software on the phone because I think uh, Fire OS does a pretty good job of fronting for. Amazon services, yeah. but it was the cost, and to a certain extent, the way that kind of implied how people thought about the phone and the perception it created, it just wasn't kind of the Amazon value. It was mm. quite clear there were better value smartphones out there if that's what you were looking for. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing is that no one I spoke to understood what it was for. It was just a collection of features sort of jammed together. So yeah. a, a Amazon's strength is very clearly explaining to people what they're for. And so we, we hope... Hope for something like that later on later on in the year, right? Then mm. um, we should move on very quickly. Something more, slightly more successful, or is it <laughs> uh, Google Glass? Yes, you and McLeod. Well, I'm still a fan of the generic technology. I like I like that. Um, I like the the whole concept of um, looking through something. You know, visor technology, in eye technology. Something I, I do like the idea of it. Um, I was pretty disappointed with how Glass worked, but I also understood that it was you know first generation, if you like. Um, so I, I can see a future for it, but I really, really, I, I've been watching the, are we allowed to say glass holes? I think so. Yes, I think yeah, so. I've been watching the glass holes uh, marketing, and yeah, that's just destroyed it, I think. Um, and the the fact that there are some bars in San Francisco and, and, and beyond that you will not tolerate you wearing them, um, the fact that I react negatively to anyone that wears one, yeah, it's like, take it off. What? They, why have you got it on? It's actually the same level as the... Um, Wearing one of those um, in-ear Bluetooth, Bluetooth headset things. Or a holster. Things. Yeah, or a holster. You take it off. Unless you're actually doing something with it, like, take it off. It really annoys me. Uh, your Dan Lane turned up at some event a while ago with it on. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Just take it off. Why have you, why have you got it on? Yeah, that, that's the issue, right? Because he wasn't actively doing anything with it. He just kept blinking at me now and again. It's quite yeah. annoying. It's a societal acceptance thing. And I right. think also it's a very intrusive and interruptive device. Even if it's maybe not, the perception is that people are kind of recording everything and doing something mm-hmm. with it, and you haven't got their attention, it, it's no more irritating than someone who kind of constantly looks over your shoulder because there's someone more interesting to talk to. Yes. Well, so hold on a minute. So looking forward then, right, we've got um, a whole lot of, of Google Glass-like products coming. If, if, you, um, if, you, if you assume that Glass is halted, not dead, we need to be clear, it's not dead, but it's halted. Let's look and see. So Sony have got their smart eye glass coming. Sketch, isn't it? It's not dead. It's not just dead. resting. It is, yeah. Um, well, there's also things like the OGG concept that was uh, yep. announced at CES clacks in time. Yeah. Um, and Vuzix, you know, Epson uh, have got a couple of products here. Yes. So there's clearly a lot of activity uh, come on, in what space. about your favourite now? Not well, Nokia, come on. I, I guess Say we have, the M to, word. Have, to, have to mention the Microsoft HoloLens. Right, there we go. Um, that that actually looks really good. Announcing a few days ago. I think that proves the idea of having kind of augmented reality, or, and, and it also does kind of the immersive stuff as well. It, there's still a lot of things to think about and places that it's going to go. It's a developing sector. And this is why I don't think Google Glass is dead. I mean, it has gone into the, uh, effectively, it's now its own division within Google. It's going to report to the uh, Nest um, director yes. uh, Tony Farrell I think it is uh, something awesome. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, it's kind of intriguing that that's where they're choosing to report it because it kind of makes you wonder what else Nest is up to if yes. that's, and, and clearly that kind of UI and some of the 
behavior and interaction methodology is something that could be used in other yeah, products. Like it kind of surprised yeah. me there were more commonalities with um, Android Wear, for that matter, kind of the watches. Yeah, they, they've been quite keen to tell people that it's not dead. And it is still, I suppose, available to certified partners. Um, but I think to consume, in far, insofar as consumers are concerned, it, it's not going to grow into a product that goes to market for for normal people. Mm. You know, you were always part of the uh, the, the beta program. If you, I think, was it a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars? Yeah. You know, to, that's a very expensive beta product to buy. But they're quite keen to say that it's not cancelled. But there again, they have taken it off the market and they haven't yeah. actually come to the it's market. Not, not cancelled. They haven't come to the market with a replacement product. So I think that's interesting. Also, the extent to which. Um, I wonder whether the Samsung products, the Sony products, and, mm. and the other ones actually are shaped by glass, and to what point there might be some fragmentation like there was early on in the days of watches, where everybody launched their own kind of watches heading off their own direction, and then just at the point where it was all getting a bit messy, Android Wear came along and yes. kind of gave everyone a Time sense of direction. Yeah. yeah, and it's an interesting space to explore. There is a lot of activity, but the sort of uncertainty, I think, is exemplified by the fact Tesco's had a press release on That's the day... Right. That this was sort of announced that it was the Explorer program was being closed, about how they were making a kind of app available. Mm. And that's a great example of the uncertainty around this space. And, and let's be honest, at, the, uh, at best, it was kind of experimental product and it was what you could learn from it that was interesting, which is why these companies did it. Also, I think for PR reasons, it was a great way of getting a bit of marketing exposure. Mm. Um, but I think as Ben identified, the problem is that a lot of people in the mass market would just go, oh, it's kind of dead. That's what they'll know about Google Glass now yeah. it failed and this was all this has even made it into the mainstream news i mean because google glass was interesting to mainstream news because yes. of all the privacy issues and things like that it now it has now been widely enough reported i think that it's been cancelled or shut down that it actually may give people pause for thought if, if they then bring a product to the market that's going to show up in our phone shops in a way that perhaps watches won't you know so yes it, it does tarnish the reputation of google to a certain extent um in the, in the sense, it's just that perception that it's not all conquering and all successful, which has happened now with a couple of products. But and if you speak to a lot of the product managers who have been you know, in charge of deploying Google Glass-style things, there is, there is a base assumption. And even in, uh, I have seen some business plans that actually you know, say, you know, we, it is a beta product, there is a risk that Google will withdraw this, but they're not going to. It's basically the next one's going to be even better. Mm. Yeah, that was a, an assumption that a lot of people spent a lot of money on. So I think the thing, the thing that confused me as well was the, the focus on the sort of the consumer use, because although uh, the, the, all the use cases that were demonstrated were all of consumers, all the times it really seemed to make people's lives demonstrably better was when it was used in industrial or, or workplace situations, Absolutely. you know, like doctors wearing it, customer service agents wearing it, warehouse, and delivery operatives wearing it and that kind of stuff. And with all those augmented reality situations where you don't have the free hands, where extra information is useful, you know, being able to inspect power lines or water pipes or something like that. And yeah, you're absolutely right. It's those industrial use cases, and I still think they will happen. And that's maybe where yeah. the uh, Google Glass work program will go. But it doesn't have to be Google, frankly. It can be anything that presents that information and kind of heads up display. Yeah, it, it was it was very odd that they didn't then go on to sort of give that more focus and support because it felt like a product trying to do lots of things for lots of different people. And mm. if you look, I mean, I think you incited a few cases uh, when we were talking about it earlier where hotels are given them to guests or, or uh, art yeah. galleries are given yeah. them to guests. But in the vast majority of cases, when you looked at how they were being used, it was employers giving them to employees to, in, to make them better at their jobs. Mm. Okay, we should move on because we've got one more topic to, to talk about before we wrap up. Use the S word. Rafe Blanford, go on, you say it. 
Yes, this is all about uh, Samsung. That's one of the sites you didn't write, isn't it? That, that's right, Ben. All about Samsung? Have you got the domain name? You're on fire today, Ben. I am on fire, unlike Amazon. <laughs> so, Rafe Bamford, tell us all about Samsung then. What's their problem? They're not having a good... You didn't have a good 2014. They didn't. Um, basically, Samsung is... I don't want to say going through the same thing that Nokia went through, but they're you certainly have. facing a lot of competition from it, primarily from the low-end Chinese uh, manufacturers. Just as the kind of the market has moved, and Samsung was used to competing with its kind of traditional rivals, and now is facing a whole set of uh, you know, kind of new rivals. So, just to give a few numbers on it from Roland Research. Uh, 40% of fewer Galaxy S5 sold than expected. Oof. It does depend on what you expect, but definitely it was down from expectations. That's not good. And I think the, the, the really big one is actually that um, Samsung sold 24.4% of all uh, smartphones worldwide in Q3 2014. Still a lot of smartphones, still a good market position to be in. But that is down from 32% in the same quarter of the previous year. So that's a eight percent swing. That's a lot. Lot of your phones suddenly disappearing. You know, basically a quarter of your market share disappearing. Guess it doesn't doesn't pay to steal other people's intellectual property after all, does it? Allegedly. Well, well I think it's easy to be very critical about um, Samsung, but if you look at the people it's competing against, exactly the same sort of thing has happened. They've basically been undercut on the cost basis, and I, I would actually say Samsung's devices have been getting better and better. They've been getting rid of a lot of the annoying bloatware on their devices. The hardware has been getting better designed. They still didn't always feel like they had the tight focus of you know, someone like Motorola or Apple in their more recent devices. But it's very easy to be critical. But I think they're facing the problem of commoditization of hardware. This is it. It's very simple. I want really good hardware. And it doesn't cost that much now, right? And I want it to look nice. And don't, 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 don't do a complete copy, please, Samsung. I mean, come on. Uh, certainly Samsung seemed to cover a lot of the bases but their their home turf seemed to seemed increasingly to be in the middle tier didn't it um, Apple Apple you, whether or not you like Apple devices price wise they were, yes, they were more expensive more than Samsung's then Samsung seemed to mop up it certainly in the UK North America the middle of the market and then you had your what you know your own brand Chinese brand manufacturers but that leaves Samsung in this really uncomfortable space being well, squeezed at both ends basically yeah, I mean, I, I, these new or newish manufacturers are cleaning up when you look at some of the stats, particularly in uh, in China and you know, or in, in the Far East. But also, you know, as I'm as I'm walking around um, here in in London, I am seeing different handsets, different quality handsets, and uh, I, I'm surprised that Samsung have got to this point. But I I, I did feel it was a little bit of a foregone conclusion because I, I did feel they've they've lost the excitement. After the S4, basically. Okay, so uh, looking forward to 2015 then, because we are mm. running out of time. Um, what what are Samsung going to do, what do they need to do to, to recover their position? I suppose first up, Rafe, you have to acknowledge that they make a lot of components for a lot of people, so they, they, they're not perhaps on the, as on the ropes as they could be uh, you know, for if they were just a solely a mobile manufacturer. Absolutely. I mean, they're a big conglomerate even outside of the, good, kind of the mobile word. component space. Uh, and so they're not going anywhere. I think what it really the message here is that the days of big profits from Android smartphones are over because there's been this price squeeze effectively, as I say, commoditization. I think for Samsung, they are going to have to reduce the number of products and have a, a tighter focus on producing really good quality products. But they're also going to have to look to cut costs wherever they can. 
that may well be in their big marketing budget. I think that would probably be a mistake because I think that's driven a lot of their their sales. Mm. And there has to be an acknowledgement from Samsung that the very reasons that they were able to be successful so quickly, kind of the openness of Android and the ability to co-opt the kind of the Google software and ecosystem was also the same weakness in that you know, others could come in and do the same thing to them. Yeah. So Samsung will be looking to do Samsung-specific stuff, and they've tried to do it with S-Health and various tools. Mm. And to some extent, they've been successful, and they look at the watches as well and the way they've tried to tie those in. Uh, but it doesn't feel like it's fired on all cylinders, so it feels like they need to do more in that space. At the same time, I think they are also going to have to address this very low end of the market and see if they can't compete in China and India with the likes of uh, Xiaomi, for example, just because that's going to be the basic thing that you have to do to be part of the smartphone race. Yeah, I reckon for me, actually, that they, regardless of whether or not you think they 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 stole IP from other people, uh, you know, in terms of technology, whatever they did, oftentimes sort of were, were followers in in terms of the way that the software looked and the features and things. But Samsung products have now just become a soup of confusing features. It's very hard yes. to explain to people from a product point of view why they should buy it, other than really they have a, whatever your price point is, they have a product in the market. And I think if they want to start attracting people up price points, for example, attracted by devices, it, the messages have got to get much, much clearer. And in fact, some of this nonsense around you know, S Health and S Pen and, and S Products and all those kinds of things. So the fact that you open your, the, your device to find two photo galleries and two app stores yeah. and all this kind of stuff just needs to be tidied up with nice, clean, simple messages about what products are good at. Um, I think that although they don't necessarily have anywhere close to the sales volume, that's what Motorola is good at, you know. This is what makes very, this whole industry still exciting. Very good, very good value, for example. Mm. Okie dokie. Um, so uh, can they do it, do you think? I, I wouldn't bet against them simply because they've demonstrated by being one of the kind of the old guys to survive into the new era that they can be very nimble and very fast moving. And they certainly have the deep pockets and the support of the component business um, that gives them an advantage over a lot of the other movers. I mean, basically all the cheap Chinese manufacturers are having to deal with a middleman when buying components. Samsung won't have to do that potentially. And so there are at least in theory, a cost structure basis that means they could undercut everyone else if they there, wanted to. Is their market share going to increase dramatically? No, I, I think we are entering an age where there will be many, many more manufacturers just because yeah. the hardware is commoditized. Yeah, so I think that's the game is over there, I think. I reckon they can uh, hang on. I reckon they can defend. But I think that that's the... The market is done now for, for them. I reckon it's now... We're now looking at Xiaomi. We're now looking at um, Smartisan new one um, yeah, I, there in, in, in China. I'd be interested to see if they can start to sell their other products off the back of their mobile products because they, they haven't done so much crossover. Oh, they so, are, I mean, there's some good... Yeah, the that's Samsung, a very good point. The Samsung yeah. Smart Home, for example, or something like that. Right, they've, they've recently said every, every product we make will be internet-enabled yeah, properly, I mean, they, right? They, you know, they, they we'll talk to smart, each other. They bought smart things last year and that vision of a Samsung ecosystem in your life, if they get it right, could be quite compelling and certainly you go oh, I've got the Samsung TV and the Samsung kitchen. It kind of makes sense for me to get something else. It's always been half there, almost there, almost this. I mean, we, I've talked about this ages ago on the podcast. We have a Samsung baby monitor. It doesn't talk to anything else. In fact, I, I feel it interferes with my Wi-Fi and all the other stuff we're doing. Yeah. You know, they haven't connected this stuff. But uh, if they do, I can see a possibility. Very, very few people have successfully followed that ecosystem strategy because it's a big ask to get someone to buy the same products across product categories from the same company. 
Right. Okay. So we should wrap up there because we're tight for time. Um, interesting this week, four different firms having four different levels of success. But one common theme for me, I think, was the fact that wherever you are, whatever your industry you're in, every time you release new products, it, there's huge risk associated with it. And you're sometimes, you know, a- a- Apple is... Apple is cashing in some of the success of the past to try and launch into a new product category, but even the people who are feeling the pressure like Amazon and, uh, and Samsung really are betting the farm on what the new strategy would be for the next couple of years as the market changes around them. So there's a risk if you do produce a new product and a risk if you don't. And so I think that the point here is that if you don't get it right, you can come unstuck very, very quickly because the market is so fast moving. And it uh, be interesting to see also how... Um, you know, these firms are understanding what users what users want because for the last couple of years, I get the sense that actually, um, the, the, these manufact these manufacturers and these products have been uh, almost sort of gambles where they put things out into the market and see if they stick. But maybe the mobile market now is mature enough that actually consumers are beginning to uh, understand what they want and how they want to interact with these services in a much more complex way. I think you can smell a rat when you see it now for a lot of consumers, and so that uh, trend. Firephone. Uh, exactly, and, and the, the trend spotting is going to become more important, and it's not just a trend spotting, because companies, I mean, Nokia was infamous for having great trend spotting and knowing what was going to happen, but you also need to execute on it. That's incredibly difficult to do as well, and so it's becoming more difficult to be a big company in this space because of the nimbleness that's required, which is why we are seeing more of the smaller companies come to the fore. It's the first Nokia klaxon for Series 9. Congratulations, Ralph Manford. Okay, well, thanks very much for listening. hope you enjoyed the first episode of Season 9. As ever, we love it when you get in touch. You can leave comments on the blog, 361podcast. You can talk to us on Twitter, at 361podcast. Or if you go to the website, 361podcast.com, there's a form there where you can send us an email. And we're also on Tinder as well. Uh, Ray and uh, Ewan McLeod is also on Tinder. No, no, Ray. Should, should, should you wish to. Oh, Ref right. Blanford is also if we Tinder, do that should you wish to swipe, swipe him. If you've got any failed pitches you want to share with us or indeed ideas for future episodes, get in touch as well. We'd love to hear them. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>